And 10. You don't need to do and 10, D. Uh, why not? It's no longer a thing anymore. You know, because we because you're not editing based on waveform. So like, when the she just knows how to do it. You don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, but it feels good. You know what I mean? Like it feels good to do it. It's like a it's like a ritual. You don't like rituals? Hey everybody, <laughs> welcome to Hashing It Out. Uh, I'm the host. Talks first. Your name? Oh, I'm D. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. go for You're it. You're really into rituals, bro. I'm the second host, Dr. Corey Petty. This is the greatest. I'm the third host, Jesse Broke. Oh, my God. Sorry, Sorry about that, guys. Um, <laughs> anyways, we, we're going to get right into the thick of it. Um, this episode, it's you know, we talked about we talked about BitVM. It's just like you heard, just like you think, a Bitcoin virtual machine. Uh, there's a gentleman based in European way, and uh, you're European. He's European. Over there, it's across the across he's the over pond. there, across the pond, and uh, he uh, released a paper called uh, BitVM. Uh, it will allow Bitcoin to compute anything, anything. And it's very, uh, it's a very good episode. In my opinion, it, it kind of brought back some very old Bitcoin feelings that I had whenever Bitcoin was the only thing where people were like, hey, but there's something new that's good. Bitcoin's just going to use it. It's going to adopt it. Bitcoin's just going to be this blob of technology that does all the things. Yeah, yeah. We were a little foolish when it came to, to thinking about, about those things because Bitcoin is not like the blob. It's very much like a block of concrete uh we're talking about how it moves and how it changes so anyways we talked about bitvm uh what else did we talk about yeah so the idea of the episode was basically how people within the bitcoin community have started to um understand that a lot of the technology that way built around ethereum and uh so the solutions and trying to figure out how to scale it are useful outside of Ethereum and the other blockchain ecosystems, namely zero knowledge technology, uh, zero knowledge proofs, Starks, Snarks, all that stuff. And there, a lot of people use them, and it's been a long going growth of the entire blockchain industry because that's the only way you're going to get privacy and scalability, in my opinion. But like this episode, I guess, is one of the leading, of new and leading projects that are attempting to take knowledge technology and put them on top of the Bitcoin blockchain to extend its functionality and use, as well as like improve some of the quality of life things that have always ex existed in Bitcoin, like the time to sync a node or the amount of uh, information required to get synced on a node. And so there's a lot of things you can do in starting to apply this stuff. And over time, as it eventually gets embedded into the core protocol, you can extend the, extend the functionality of Bitcoin a lot. It has its own potential proliferation of uh, shitty ideas on top of Bitcoin, like layer twos. Everyone can do their own thing. And um, very importantly, it doesn't mess with the base layer, which has always been kind of the hallmark of the development of Bitcoin and the community around it is like, don't touch the base layer. Don't change it. It's reasonably ossified. It does a small number of things and does them well. Um, so this is like with the growth of innovation in trustless systems and applied cryptography you don't have to touch the base layer and still 
potentially enable a, a, a reasonably broad and diverse ecosystem on top of it. There's been a number of attempts to do this in the past. Rootstock, uh, we'll be talking to DriveChain soon, which is a different way of doing something similar. All right. So basically, we had a great discussion with uh, Robin Linus or Robin Linus. And uh, he talked to us about uh, ZeroSync, which was basically um, a method for basically creating an authenticated SPV client uh, or SPV node, right? So what, what you do is basically you have a, uh, a super light kind of pruned in the sense that you can bootstrap from a checkpoint and then you have a, a proof that you can kind of build um, history from within your Bitcoin node and you can probably run it in a more portable way. And that's basically it. Basically. Basically. And we're back with another Hashing It Out interview. Today, uh, we are joined with the founder of ZeroSync, Mr. Robin Linus. Did I get that right? Robin Linus in German. <laughs> I did not. I got it wrong. But anyways uh, thank you for coming to the show uh robin um tell us a bit Thanks about a yourself good deal good deal where are you from how'd you get into crypto uh give us give us the full story you can start from day zero really okay um yeah i'm from germany um i studied computer science and um i think relatively early I've I realized that the fiat system is a scam, that it's very scammy, that there are very few people who can print money and give it to their friends. And um, all of the rest of us, they have to work for the money. <laughs> it was quite obvious that this is a scam. And um, then um, I thought about like how to, how to fix it. <laughs> and uh, if I can somehow in particular, I mean, like I'm a bit I got that talent that I can compute program. I can program. I can write computer programs, and I feel like this is the magic of our times. And I felt like that uh, the people like me, the the programmers or like the computer scientists, that they are probably the ones who might be able to help fix the monetary system. And. Um, yeah, I started like giving talks about the monetary system and stuff like that. But uh, to my shame, I have to admit that someone told me about Bitcoin in like 2011 or something, and I totally didn't get it. Like uh, they tried to tell me, and they tried very enthusiastically, but I, I didn't get it. Like it was probably hubris. Like, uh, but okay, I don't understand it, so it must be it must be a scam, and. Um, so yeah, I didn't get it right away. And then it took me about five more years um, until I finally came back to Bitcoin and started building my my first web wallets, like very simple wallet. And um, yeah, then I got like a little shitcoin phase, but fortunately I got over that quite quickly. And uh, yeah, then I came back to Bitcoin and uh, since about yeah, five years, I've been trying to learn as much as possible about Bitcoin. I've been working on all kinds of small projects and uh, yeah, um, contrib contributing to some projects here and there. Um, 
yeah, then about two years ago, um, I founded ZeroSync together with my co-founder Lucas. And we are applying zero knowledge proofs to Bitcoin. Essentially, we are compressing the chain um, such that you can sync instantly or that you could run a full node on your phone and in general to make the network more accessible. And um, yeah, working on that zero knowledge proofs, it became kind of apparent that it would be really awesome if we had some zero knowledge proof verifier on the main layer, because then we could use it to like bridge Bitcoin to, to other systems, to side chains and like to um, client side validation protocols on top of Bitcoin and like increase privacy, increase the throughput. And uh, yeah, it, it was kind of obvious that if we had a ZKP verifier that we, we could do all kinds of awesome things. So um, I started thinking about how to achieve that. And yeah, of course, it's it's hard to change Bitcoin. It's hard to change the consensus rules. So it's quite unlikely that we just get a ZKP verifier with the soft fork. And um, yeah, then I founded that group together with Super Testnet and Sam Parker. And that group was called Hack a ZKP Verifier into Bitcoin Script. And uh, yeah. <laughs> The idea behind that was to try to, yeah, what the group name says, to 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 hack ZKP verifier into script somehow. And then we have been discussing that topic for about half a year and like exchanged ideas, uh, exchanged papers about like uh, yeah, different approaches, how it might be possible somehow. And then uh, yeah, two weeks ago there was the breakthrough, and then everything became uh, everything pretty quickly fit together and then I published that paper and uh, yeah, since then uh, and I exploded. Mm. I do want to talk about your shit coin of choice, but we can say that for later. Because um, yeah. everybody's got their favorite salad topping, you know what I'm saying? But let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about your paper because that is kind of like what what sparked my interest. Um, like Corey knows I'm a clickbaity guy. I click, I go on, I go to movies because they tell me it's the best movie ever made. Like I go to when I shop for groceries, I, it's like, hey, these grapes are the best grapes. And I'm like, I'm going to get those. Right. I, I like clickbait. Uh, you know, it gets you on these fun adventures. The title of your paper seems kind of clickbaity, but it got me. And it said, BitVM compute anything on Bitcoin. And I was like, ooh, all right. Yeah. That sounds like fun. So then I dove into it. And it seems like a pretty tall ask. Um, you've got several roadblocks to try and get this to be uh, implemented into Bitcoin Core. So I guess my, my question in all this is, what, what's going to be your first step to try to get something like this done? And it feels like you have a long route to go. But what's your first step that you're doing right now? Um, yeah, first of all, we don't have to implement it in Bitcoin Core, right? It's uh, essentially a second layer protocol and we can run it on top of Bitcoin without changing Bitcoin Core at all. Um, yeah, and the first thing that we are going to do, or like some people are already building very basic BitVMs, um, but this is not really what I'm envisioning. Um, they are really crafting their own low-level circuits and stuff like that, and uh, I, I don't envision that many people will do that because it's kind of cumbersome and like you really have to go into the nitty-gritty and even for experienced programmers uh, they usually never craft their own binary circuits that's usually a thing that hardware designers do and then like one hardware designer does it and then they build like a million chips and 
nobody else cares about the low-level wiring. Um, so the thing that I envision is that we build really a virtual machine. That's also why I called it BitVM. And um, that virtual machine that can run, or like you can program in high-level language and then compile down to that virtual machine. Um, this way, we would have to craft only one low-level circuit. And this low-level circuit would be to um, yeah, essentially um, verify executions of that virtual machine. And um, once we have that single circuit, then we can run everything on the virtual machine, essentially every program. Like all kinds of high-level log logic could be implemented in the high-level language. And then you can compile it down um, to the to the low-level language of the virtual machine, and then you execute the virtual machine. And if there's a faulty state transition, then you can easily disprove the end result. And that's what we are building currently. And yeah, hopefully, we can have a first prototypical version ready by the end of the year. You've got a. I was looking at your website earlier today. You have quite a few like demo prototypes of why your knowledge proofs are useful to Bitcoin. Um, and it's not the first time that the community has talked about proofs. You've, kind of the construction of bulletproofs, uh, some of the source signature stuff, that transition over there. Bulletproofs got moved over to something like, I guess, Monero. Um, and then, like, I think the, the stronger champions of zero-knowledge proofs have been Zcash, which is a fork of Bitcoin. And then the Ethereum community had just ran with it. And then that was the proliferation of, like, layer twos and so on and so forth. And when you think about layer twos and rollups on top of Ethereum, it's quite—it's uh, more obvious as to how it's hooked in, what what security safeguards you have, and how they're enabled within the smart contracts. So, like how someone can take their money from an L2 and then exit the L2 in case of some type of malfeasance to get their money on the main chain. Not as clear how that happens on Bitcoin and the efficiency on that. Can you talk a little bit about like how you get? Zero knowledge proof validations in the Bitcoin blockchain and why you have similar security assumptions? Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, uh, I think it would be good to clarify terms a bit. Um, there are zero knowledge proofs and there are validity proofs. Mm -hmm. um, many people are. Yeah, sorry. Uh, intermingle those I, myself, like, I usually just say zero knowledge proofs because somewhat like the entire industry. Um, just recoined that term and now and everybody's even like the majority of the implementations here you're not even using the zero knowledge part you're just using the snark part for for compression yeah, exactly. yeah. so you're these doing are Lina, the... basically right like in terms of the recur recursion yeah. the proof recursion for the compression and then it's a yes. validity proof right yeah exactly it's much more similar to mina than uh to zcash or monero mm -hmm. monero and zcash they both really use zero knowledge proofs which uh yeah, zero knowledge proofs have originally been invented for for privacy purposes because they allow you to prove some statement without revealing the data that you're proving a statement about for example confidential transaction like i can prove to you that i sent uh, some amount that is not negative without revealing the amount and um, this is what monero and zcash are using zero knowledge proof for mostly and um those are real zero knowledge proofs, but uh, researchers have figured out that these privacy uh, features 
or like these, these zero knowledge proofs that have been invented for privacy, that they are also great for scalability because they have great compression capabilities. Because uh, yeah, you prove a statement without revealing the data that belongs to that statement. And yeah, that allows you to prove a statement uh, yeah, without revealing the data. And that is uh, quite, quite nice for scalability as well, because I can prove, for example, that a particular chain state is correct without revealing the blockchain to you. And this way we kind of compress the blockchain in the end. And yeah, at ZeroSync, we are using these validity proofs to compress the blockchain, which is different than using ZKPs for privacy. Um, why do we want to have a validity proof verifier on the main layer? Um, yeah, the reason is that it can give us mainly scalability and privacy. Those are the main reasons why it would be cool to have a CKP verifier or like a validity proof verifier on Bitcoin. Um, yeah, then we could do basically ZK rollups. We could do bridges to sidechains. Um, we could do bridges to um, yeah protocols on top of Bitcoin. Maybe you've heard of, of second layer protocols like OmniLayer or Counterparty, RGB, Taro, and stuff like that. And uh, those are all protocols that are on top of Bitcoin and they can also increase the smart contracting capabilities. However, currently we cannot use BTC in them. We can only use them with other tokens, for example, yeah, Tether or something. And bridging BTC to them is not possible in a trustless manner currently. But if we had a ZKP verifier on the main layer, then we could easily bridge them to uh, other protocols on top of Bitcoin. And this way, yeah, we would get all kinds of nice, uh, we could basically have a free market of uh, second layer protocols and uh, all of them could compete for the best features and uh, yeah, the best product market fit. And I think that would be really awesome. Um, like we could ossify the main layer such that we don't have to change it anymore. And then uh, such that it becomes really, really secure. And on the same, at the same time in parallel, um, we could have people experimenting with um, yeah, second layers and with the best second layer technologies and what the market demands. Just for clarification purposes, like this is the same um, marketing as something like drive chains. How do you differentiate for something like that? How is that connection different between the, the second layer and the Bitcoin base layer? Yeah, I would agree that in general, um, the arguments that I'm saying here are very similar to the arguments for drive chains. Yeah. But I would not say that the drive chain people came up with it. Um, this idea of side chains and a free market of side chain that is way older than uh, oh, yeah. the drive chain. Well, like the, the way in which they hook into the Bitcoin blockchain, how they anchor the trust into the big into Bitcoin is I say different. Can you talk about that difference between like how CKPs enable that versus how something like drive chains enables that? Um, yeah, it's it's different trade-offs. Um, Bit 300 is it's much simpler. However, at the end of the day, you trust the miners. You trust uh, that the majority of the miners over a period of like six months or so is honest. And yeah, that is an assumption that might not be true or this is an assumption that might be profitable to, to game it. And um, that's why there are controversies around Bit 300. And that's why um, some people oppose it a lot. Um, because of these incentives, because miners might be incentivized to mine incorrect chains and uh, 
yeah, just to, to steal those coins or um, yeah, to censor people just to, to steal those coins. And a ZKP verifier would be, um, or like, it depends on what we're talking about here. If we're talking about ZKPs on BitVM, I think they would suffer from the same problem. And actually, like, if, if, if we would really have a cartel of miners who can uh, control the chain for six months, then we basically cannot do anything no. about it. Because <laughs> you, got, you have bigger problems. <laughs> yeah. And the BitVM protocol, it totally depends on uh, yeah, being able to get your transaction into the chain within a reasonable amount of time, let's say a week or something. And if they censor you for a week, then yeah, there's no way to um, yeah, to do the justice transaction. The security breaks down. But I do think that is basically the same for essentially every second layer protocol. Lightning has the same problem. Like if, if, if Miners would censor for two weeks all justice transactions, then the Lightning Network would break together. So whatever layer two system you have, you depend on being able to use the main layer and not being censored for too long from the main layer. Aside from security assumptions, and it would be the difference in, in resource costs. So like... Um, yeah. If you look at the differentiation between rollups in the Ethereum space, you have zero knowledge rollups and optimistic rollups, and there's a pretty considerable um, required resource costs for both of those implementations of rollups. Like, how does that compare to like uh, a, a snark-based rollup on Bitcoin and something like Bit three hundred for Bitcoin? Yeah, in Bit three hundred, there's just the trust in miners that they do validate the sidechain and then um, they do only things that are legal in terms of sidechain rules. But the sidechain rules are not at all verified on the Bitcoin main layer. That makes the system simple, but on the other hand, it also creates like um, yeah, attack vectors. And uh, if you had a ZKP verifier, then uh, it would be a different story because um, such a ZKP definitely it's it simply proves the state of the sidechain and there is no way to cheat it like the if proof system works then there is no way to fool the main chain into believing uh, anything that is not true uh, like you cannot create a proof for something that is incorrect that's the reason why we call it a proof um so and the verification of that is very simple like um even on a phone, you could verify the entire state of a sidechain within a second. So uh, you would keep the, the main layer very lean, even for the miners. The miners would not have to verify all the sidechain, or like they would not have to verify all the blocks of the sidechain, but they could verify the sidechain uh, within a succinct proof, and that would be basically no cost. That would be uh, very, yeah, very, very cheap and not expensive. Does I've got a sense? thousand questions. Yeah, I've got a thousand questions to let someone else ask. Yeah, so I I, I don't understand the, um, like, I never really got into the weeds with uh, how Bitcoin does uh, the, like, specific operations. And I'm just curious, like, how BitVM, um, how you are architecting, like, the actual VM itself. Like, you know, like, for Risk Zero. You know, they they try and emulate like a reduced instruction set, um, like a risk five. Yeah. So like yeah. I guess how do you guys imagine, you know, in your instruction set for this VM and and I guess matching it with 
I guess, Bitcoin's instructions? Yeah, that, it's it's actually very similar. We will build a VM and it will have like a very simple set of instructions. Let's say um, just additions and uh, mostly like yeah, jump, like uh, bigger than and smaller yeah. than and equals and, and yeah, conditional jumps. And um, if you have that, then you can basically compute everything else on top of that. And um, I'm mentioning these instructions because we already have these instructions in Bitcoin script mostly. Like we have addition, we have uh, smaller than, bigger than, equals, and stuff like that. And um, yeah, we would have these um, basic instructions. We would not have stuff like multiplication or so. Multiplication would be uh, emulated on top of the VM. Um, but the VM, um, yeah, it will not be designed as regular VMs. Usually you design a VM such that you can run your computation as quickly as possible and you can execute your computation as quickly as possible. Here we don't really care about execution. Um, what we care about is um, being able to efficiently disprove an incorrect execution. Uh, this is the fundamental difference here that uh, we will not execute anything on the Bitcoin chain or like we will not execute any correct execution on the Bitcoin chain. Only, the only thing we ever do is to uh, disprove an incorrect execution. And that's why we will design things a bit differently than uh, how you usually design VMs. Because um, yeah, we have a different computing paradigm here. Because yeah, people just make claims and then it's about disproving incorrect claims. If it's incorrect, of course. How do the uh, economics work around verification of the proofs, like it, proving them as um, false? Sorry? Oh, I was, I was asking, uh, how, how do the economics work, I guess, around uh, proving proofs as invalid by the verifier? Mm -hmm. um, so picture your computation as like a huge set of gates, like just logic gates. And then um, what you do there is you, you bisect that uh, huge, uh, huge circuit. Like you would try to make queries such that you can say, okay, the error has to be in the first half of the of the circuit or in the second half of the circuit. Of course, the circuit has to be designed designed in a way such that you can bisect it easily. You know, if it's it's a very wide circuit, then you would have to query the entire diameter, and that would be inefficient. So what you would want to have is like you design circuits like like an eight, so that it has like lots of bubbles, you know, and uh, these these small parts you can query them easily. And if you if you query it and it comes to the right result, then you know everything before that was was correct. So the error must be below that. And this way you can do a bisection or like a binary search essentially, just like you look up a number in a phone book. I don't quite follow, but I should be able to read some documentation if you have any available. Uh, it's in the white paper, kind of how you go through it, right? Yeah, the white paper doesn't really describe the VM itself. Like the white paper describes okay. how to build these low-level circuits and um, yeah. the the tricks that made these low-level circuits possible, and that is essentially the, the the gist of the entire idea. And building a VM on top of that is relatively simple in comparison to these uh, coming up with um, these hacks to uh, yeah uh, build the low-level circuits in Bitcoin. Is that because you're dealing with UTXOs, it's almost mandatory to design things that way? Yeah, like uh, an essential thing is that Bitcoin script is stateless. Uh, like mm -hmm. in Bitcoin script, 
you usually you don't have any state that uh, is transported from one transaction to another uh, every every script there is just executed once in the environment of that single transaction and then afterwards everything is deleted and uh, nothing ever mat matters again to the next transaction and um, the one of the essential ideas behind bitvm um, are these bit commitments which allow you to commit to bit value uh, bit values in a way such that you cannot change your commitment or like that if you would change your commitment from one transaction to the next then uh, yeah you lose you lose your funds you you lose your de deposit and um, this way we can have state um over multiple transactions and that allows you to do yeah way more complex computation so um <clears throat> sorry to back out a little bit i want to kind of talk about the mission you got on your website here zerosync.org your first one is a uh, you're creating a proof system to sync a bitcoin's chain state instantly like uh what are some of the byproducts of if you're able to get this this first bullet point done like well speak to let's speak to some of the possibilities let's get our willy wonka on for a second yeah the most simple thing you could do with it is to just sync a full node um yeah you would download the proof and the proof would give you um, a state commitment like uh, essentially a UT utxo set commitment and then you also download the utxo set and then you hash it and match it against the commitment in the in the proof and if they match, then you know the UTXO set is correct. Then you copy that UTXO set into your chain state folder, and then you run your Bitcoin Core full node as you are used to. That would be like the most simple application of such a chain state. And yeah, that would allow you to skip the entire initial block download. You wouldn't have to download the 600 gigabytes of existing blocks. Um, you would just have to download the, the UTXO set, which is maybe 7 gigabytes, and um, that would be it. Yeah, and that would allow you to sync instantly. But um, this is just the most simple use case. We could have many other interesting use cases on top of it, in particular for live clients. Or do you want to ask something about it? No, my dog was barking. Sorry. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, in particular for light clients, it's very interesting. Um, because like as a light client, stuff that you would want to do is like you come back online after you've been offline for a while. And then uh, you want to query the, the balances of all your addresses. Uh, and um, such a chain state proof can uh, give you um, that UTXO set commitment, and you can design that UTXO set commitment that you can easily perform queries on it. Just think of it similar to like a Merkle Patricia tree in Ethereum, where you really have like a key value mapping, where you essentially, yeah, just like the name says, you have a key, your public key. And that maps to some value, which is the balance of your of your addresses, and um, yeah, you could easily query that, and then uh, you get a response, and then uh, you know that this is exactly correct. And um, this is vastly better than SPV proofs because, um, yeah, uh, miners could not mine an incorrect chain and prove to you that it uh, is correct. That is impossible because you have that chain state proof, and um, yeah, also they cannot withhold any any transactions from you because um, yeah, you can easily prove the entire set of transactions so that you know none of the transactions are missing. 
And um, yeah, in general, I would say chain state proofs allow you to turn the blockchain into a database and you can perform arbitrary queries on that database and the responses you get, they are verifiable. So you have essentially like, an, you turn the blockchain into an authenticated database with chain state proofs. And um, maybe that sounds a bit too abstract to make it more concrete. Um, when you're running a lightning full node, uh, sorry, a lightning node, then uh, one thing that is that you're interested in when you come back online is um, to see all the unilateral channel closes of the last two weeks. So all the channels that have been closed um, without the two parties agreeing with each other, because this is what you care about. If somebody else closed your channels without you asking about it. if 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 you agreed with them, then you know the channel was closed. But if you did not agree and they closed it unilaterally, then uh, you would want to see it in the chain. So as a lightning node, you are interested in the unilateral channel closes, and in particular, the unilateral channel closes of the last two weeks, because this is uh, what's most interesting. Like The timeout was, is, is exactly two weeks, so you have to check it once every two weeks. And um, yeah, that would be a classical query that you could do, like give me all the unilateral channel closes of the last two weeks. And then uh, you could get a proof that this is exactly the list of all unilateral channel closes. And what's cool here is that um, this list is usually small because unilateral channel closes happen rarely. And um, yeah, the, the blocks of the last two weeks, they, they don't really matter to you. You just care about that very small subset of unilateral channel closes. And um, what's cool here is that you don't have to dox yourself to ask for that list because that list is the same for everyone. So uh, you don't dox your own channels to uh, your bridge node or, or where you get the data from. What's interesting here is that like you're doing a lot of things that the zero knowledge community has been pushing in the Ethereum community for a long period of time. Uh, but you're trying to do it on Bitcoin. And so um, when you talk about that first relatively simple application, that in the Bitcoin world will probably tend to get some pushback because of the desire to prove from Genesis uh, and not trust a, a different proving system. But you get a lot of other additional benefits along with it, and you can still prove from Genesis if you want to uh, with something like this. Are you, are you finding the response to a proposal to do something like this and then slowly get it more and more embedded into the uh, maintain main chain feature set positive or negative like how are people responding to this and how do you see the kind of future of the roadmap of bitcoin moving such that you can do things like this and there isn't this constant backlash of like don't change the chain um yeah that's a complex question um First of all, I can say that we are using Starks, and Starks can be, uh, or they are in general relatively um, conservative in terms of um, cryptographic assumptions. Um, they mostly rely on cryptographic hash functions, and um, that's essentially it. And um, the people who, who, who know stuff, they, they would probably say, hey, you have these uh, algebraic hash function and algebraic hash functions, they have some stronger assumptions than uh, regular hash functions. But in general, you can have algebraic hash functions and uh, sorry, you can have classical hash functions and that's it. So it's not too much moon math. Um, however, yeah, 
Um, it is definitely like Bitcoin Core is one of the most hardened software in the world. Yeah, this is uh, it's totally not easy to get to that level with without like even if it would be easy to implement zkps it would be really hard to get to the level of hardened software as bitcoin core is hardened so for the foreseeable future we won't get to the same security level as bitcoin core has. like if, if somebody if, if an exchange is running a billion dollar business they probably should not use proofs for now over time it will become way better and uh, Within the next 10 years or so, we'll probably figure it out to get it on par, more or less. Um, but for now, um, it is definitely the more conservative choice to go with a conventional uh, node instead of a ZKP node. Um, and yes, um, some people in the community, they, they, they oppose it, but they mostly oppose it for the problems um, that you get from data availability, because yeah, the chain state proof by definition cannot prove the data availability. It can prove to you that somebody knew some correct blockchain that led to some particular state and they cannot trick you. They cannot create like an invalid chain and create a proof for that. That is impossible. However, um, they don't, they cannot prove to you that you could download the blockchain if you wanted to. Oh, this is just impossible with a, with a proof. They could withhold the data. And there might be some ways to attack the chain with such withholding attacks. Um, I have not figured out a way to do that because, or like, I have not figured out, out a way to attack the chain without having 51% of the hashing power. And I think if you have 51% of the hashing power, you can do things that are worse. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely changing Bitcoin's consensus rules to some degree. Like, um, um, what's his name? The the guy with a with a gas mask. Uh, the 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 uh, uh, Bane. Are you talking about Bane? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I know you're talking. I can't remember anything. I totally forgot his name. Um, Luke Desha. Luke Desha. Like his first yeah. reaction was, "This is not for." Uh, and he's right that it's a hard fork in the he sense said, that we are not again? very. It's a hard fork. He said this is a hard. No. It's a hard fork. It's a hard fork of Bitcoin's consensus rules. It's yeah. Uh, it accepts something that a full node would not accept, and that is true because the full node would never get into a state for which it doesn't know the blocks, and a zkp node would go into states for which it doesn't know the blocks. So in that sense, you're definitely we, we definitely skip one consensus rule. Um, yeah, there, this is definitely a point. However, there are mitigations to it. For example, one thing that you could do easily is that um, you use the chain state proof only to sync up to like the uh, block 100 blocks in the past, and the last 100 blocks you sync conventionally. Uh, that, that is one mitigation then people would have to overwrite the chain for more than 100 blocks, which is extremely, extremely way harder than uh, just overwriting the chain for one or two blocks. Um, that is one solution. Another solution is, of course, you could uh, use the chain just, uh, you could use the chain state proof only for verification and simply download the entire blockchain. That would also be a solution because downloading the blockchain is much faster than verifying it. Um, yeah, 
there, there are trade-offs definitely everything in life has its trade-offs and uh the k nodes are not strictly better in all cases they can be much faster but um yeah the security trade-offs are slightly weaker i was going to get to asking Corey's question but i was going to frame it a lot different first i was going to have a lead-in question which which was is ethereum a shit coin to you yeah. uh and then i was going to approach it from that angle um but but is it i mean as i said like i, I really care about the design of money uh, i think we should have a money that is based in mathematics and uh, physics instead of trust uh, that is, uh, it's. I believe it would be really good for in general, but for all the people that I care about and myself. So, um, so, so let me just continue with the, the questions. I don't think it's better money. I, I, I don't care Ethereum if, you, is an if you think. Sorry. Oh. I think your latency is yeah your your bad. connection's broken up quite a bit so we've missed quite a bit oh. of the last maybe minute or two. I think Ethereum is an unregulated bank and there might be value to an unregulated bank but I think from a technical point of view it would be much better if they would just run a SQL database but that would probably be illegal so that's why they are using a blockchain and uh from a technical point of view that is very uninteresting to me so that's why i don't care about ethereum much but i think it's cool that they are like curing billions of dollars into cryptography research and uh, i'm profiting from yeah. that as well because i, I yeah. use all the awesome things that they develop so let me jump to my next couple questions i'm going to try and get to my point and get to my question and as few questions as possible but we'll see um so <laughs> so um you brought up this this point that uh, you know all Ethereum L2s who use rollups, you know zkps for rollups, you know the misnomer zkps for rollups, are going to have this problem of data data availability, right? Let's say that you know your solution gets patched into core, right, and you have problems with data availability. Do you see kind of the same technology that is being built in the Ethereum ecosystem migrating its way over to Bitcoin to solve that? data availability problem it's the other way around um another thing that i came up with is uh, zk coins zk coins is like a layer two protocol similar to rgb um the essential difference is that it's rgb combined with um validity proofs to compress and um yeah sorry i i missed on that it's to essentially optimized I'm not RGB with such RGB. that you can uh, process oh okay rgb is a client-side validation protocol which means that um okay. i as the sender i send you a coin and attached to that coin is also the entire history of that coin all transactions that led to that coin and then i as the sender sent the entire history to you and you as the recipient, you are incentivized to verify that this entire history is correct. And if it's actually correct, then uh, you accept the coin. And otherwise you just say, hey, this is random gibberish. Uh, I don't accept that as money. And um, the cool thing here is that I can communicate most of the transaction history off chain to you and you validate most of it off chain. The only thing that we need the main chain for is uh, to prevent double spending. 
So uh, you have like these commitments and you write these commitments into the chain and then I prove to you that I never used my commitment before and this way you can be certain that I didn't double spend it. You're actually the first who gets my coin. And um, yeah, so we reduced the main layer to become a layer that uh, does nothing but preventing double spending. And uh, everything else is off chain. And um, yeah, the problem is that the history of such a token grows quasi exponentially because every token has at least one input or like, sorry, every transaction has at least one input on average, it has more than one input. So it becomes like a tree of, mm -hmm. of predecessors and uh, the number of predecessors grows quasi exponentially, which means the history of the token grows pretty quickly. And that is kind of cumbersome. Like, if, if I'm at the cashier at the supermarket or something, then uh, I didn't want to transfer like two gigabytes of, of token history because it's, yeah, it would be nonsense. Um, yeah, and that's where validity proofs come in very handy. You can use validity proofs to just compress the entire history of the token into negligible size. And then I give you that 100 kilobyte of, of history proof, and that is sufficient for you to um, validate the the value of the coin. I see. Um, what I, what I'm trying to get at with the the question I was I was asking is, you know, the same thing kind of applies to Ethereum with the L2s and the data availability solutions. Is nobody thinks about long term how to scale. Um, storing the actual archival chain beyond running you know a lot of different full nodes um and also you know there's the the problem that you talked about which is the data withholding like how do you solve that you can't i don't think can you i i think let me try and answer this real quick to see if my opinion on it is right because it okay. there's a, the assumption in bitcoin is that they're not going to stop proof of work and so you're always going to have a backdrop of people running the full node what's mm -hmm. but, and it seems as though What's happening, like the history of Bitcoin has been, we're not going to change the base layer. We're not going to change the instruction set of the base layer and the rules very much. And if you do, it's going to be relatively conservative. And so the response of the developers who want to do more things on it is like, all right, how do we reasonably root trust or pass things offline in a trustless way such that we only are using the base layer as an arbitration layer? which minimally impacts how much stuff you put into the Bitcoin blockchain and doesn't really change the rule set. That's why you have lightning, why you have um, early uh, what were they, payment channels, which is lightning. And then mm -hmm. and you have Taproot started, didn't really do anything or has yet to do anything. The old stuff. But like what's what you're seeing is a proliferation of how do we pass things around in an off-chain sense such that we can do more cool things. And Ordinals. then- when yeah. we want to embed them, we embed them based on either arbitration or something went wrong or we, we're, we're finished. We've conducted our business. And even like mast, like a taproot situation is like this too. It's like, what um, option tree do we have such that we can submit a transaction, choose one of those options and not show it, but give people a lot of options to do things with various transactions. And, and so I think like the data availability problem of Bitcoin isn't really a problem because the Bitcoin blockchain is always going to be there. Whereas Ethereum is actively looking to minimize the impact of what the blockchain looks like today and it's scaling. Am I wrong about that? 
I mean, you got the data availability problem usually when you have like um, something like a ZK rollup or something that um, processes, let's say, a hundred thousand transactions off chain, and then uh, you don't know the result. You, know, you don't know uh, who actually received what. You know that the end result is correct, and you have like some state commitment, but you don't know what's in that state. And um, this is the, the essential data avail availability problem. And uh, I mentioned ZK coins because it started from this observation that like essentially all the roll-up kind of things have that data availability problem. And then the idea was to reduce the amount of data that you have to communicate and just, yeah, just accept that you have to uh, inscribe that data into the chain to solve the data availability problem, but to minimize the amount of data that you have to inscribe into the chain. And um, that's essentially how the the idea of ZK coins was born. And um, yeah, I think it can, like the, the, that paradigm that is behind ZK coins, um, I think that is very, uh, yeah, that's a good idea to, to scale blockchains better. And um, I think without any kind of soft fork, we could have about 100 token transactions per second with um, a protocol like ZK coins without having any kind of data availability problem. And um, yeah, if, if we had some CKP verifier, we could also bridge BTC to a ZK coin. And then we would have, yeah, we could have 100 um, Bitcoin transactions per second on, on the main layer. And also, um, the UTXO set would scale way better because um, for ZK coins, you essentially don't need an, a UTXO set. Um, there is no global state anymore. It's it's more like local state, and uh, every participant just track tracks um, um, something like the state of the last month, and then they just get like a proof of non-inclusion for their own UTXO for that month, and then they can discard all the data of that month. And um, yeah, this way you can run a full node that has all the data that is required um, without too much resource. Like um, the resource requirements don't scale with the number of users. They are constant, no matter how many users are using the system. And that was the main design goal behind CK coins. Hmm. Maybe I just don't understand. Um, so like, I understand what you said. This is more to my misunderstanding that may exist between why do these L2s in the Ethereum ecosystem um, need data availability? Is it for playback, like replay back of uh, like rebuilding previous state from and just double checking transactions and, and blocks? No? Okay. No, it's the end state, the end state. Like, let's say, um, for example, you would have the same if, if we would ZKify the Bitcoin blockchain. Let's say we would not have blocks anymore. We only have state proofs. Uh, and now I give you a state proof and I tell you this is the hash of the current UTXO set. Uh, yeah. And I prove to you that this is, hash is absolutely correct. Uh, I could not cheat. Uh, there is no UTXO in here that is not uh, the result of a correct transaction. Uh, so the, the state route is absolutely certainly correct. But what you don't know is if your UTXO is actually included in there. Uh, you would have to ask me what is in that state root? What is that tree actually? And I don't have to tell you that tree in the proof because the proof doesn't 
speak about the tree it only speaks about the root and it proves that the root is correct but it does not show you what data is actually contained in that tree and what data is not and that's um, part of the third phase of zero sync right to be able to prove the transactions yeah yeah for, okay. for all these things you would need some kind of bridge node that tells you the truth right uh, that is that is an issue uh, if the bridge node doesn't tell you then yeah then you cannot know you don't have to trust the bridge node in the sense that it could not lie to you. It could not tell you about any transactions that you did not have received or so. You can prove everything that the bridge node tells you, but it could just not respond to you. And then there's no way for you to tell what transactions you received and what you didn't receive. I think that's generally the problem with that people don't quite understand with, with these systems is that a lot of the proofing things that we're talking about here is only a verification that what you're asking is correct, but you still need, if you want to go further or do something with that information that you know is now correct, you need to get it from somebody. Yes. And that's the data availability problem. Where do I get it? And how do I know that it will be available to me when I want it? Versus yeah. them saying like, I did the proof, I checked it. Cool, I threw it out now that it's gone and I'm never going to give it out. But I mean, so that's the other half of the problem when you're talking about building proofs of systems and being correct is, and, and more often than not, you're doing that because you want to minimize the amount of information that's being communicated or growing over time. So like when I ask something, I want to make sure that I don't have to keep asking, thus increasing the amount of information I need to gather to make sure that it's correct. And once you know things are correct, you then do something with it. But once again, got to get that from somewhere. So like, it's all about, scaling both in how much information grows over time and how long you need to keep it. And also with like the communication protocol of identifying like, or of, of asking the question in the first place, I wanted to get this information from this large data set. How do I ask for it efficiently? And how do I make sure that I'm getting the answer correctly and that the data will be there when I do ask. And depending upon the system you're talking about, those answers are different. So like, Ethereum's data availability problem is a bit different than Bitcoin's, I think. Yeah. I guess my question would be, if you're trying to, like, it's more in the Ethereum context, not, not, not what you're building in the Bitcoin context, but more about in the Ethereum L2 ecosystem context where um, the transactions that are relevant to a specific state that's committed to main chain, I'm more curious about, like, long-term data persistence and what the solutions might be for that. But again, I think that's less Bitcoin, but more if you're in the shard, if you're inscribing trend. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. There are all kinds of um, sampling techniques and stuff like that. So that you have um, yeah. lots of verifiers or like, yeah, lots of bridge nodes. And then they all get a subset that is oversampled. And then uh, if, if you just know, like i don't know two or three bridge nodes then you can uh, recreate that entire state and then there are all these kind of games where you can prove that you gave some data to someone and uh, they actually received it they give you like somewhat a receipt that they actually received it and uh, then they cannot blame you for not sending it to them and stuff like that and um yeah, long story short, there are some solutions to it, but I feel like none of them are really satisfying. It's not that somebody found the silver bullet and uh, solved it. Um, and also most of these solutions introduce a lot of complexity. But yeah, 
That's it seems to be like a fundamental issue in general that uh, if you want to scale such a payment system to large scale that uh, you just have to accept that at some point you you have to process large amounts of data in on the base layer. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's just, that's just how it is. And um, I think that idea with CK coins is quite cool to like say okay we will have to put a lot of data on the main layer so we will just minimize the data that we need there and try to get as much as possible off chain and find uh, what is really the essence of data that we need on the base layer to solve the double uh, to, to solve the data availability problem and um, get rid of everything else we don't have a lot more time um i wanted to ask about <laughs> The developer toolkit you created for helping others build more applications on top of this and why you chose the um specific i guess stack uh um, um, that developer toolkit is very experimental, right? It's uh, really in in its most early stage. We we just started zero sync a year ago, and um, yeah, we we're, we're focusing on finishing that um, header chain proof. And um, it's not that that developer toolkit is just uh, out there and lots of people are using it. It's not the case yet. Uh, it's it's very experimental, very early. But how? Why did we choose that particular? stack that we chose um first of all stocks are a good proof system i already said that um the cryptographic primitives underlying it they are quite conservative which is a good thing um in general the stock proof system is relatively simple in comparison to other proof systems um also it's very performant um like you can have more compact proofs like there are some proof systems that uh, give you proofs that are smaller um, but in general like the overall proving performance in particular like proving large unstructured computation as bitcoin is yeah, like in bitcoin you have um i don't know how much i should go in into into that details but um usually you prove that circuits and circuits are usually fixed size and if you would want to create a circuit for a transaction, that would be horrible because you don't know in advance how many inputs it has, which means um, you would have to account for everything that could be there. Like you have to account in your circuit for potentially a thousand inputs and a thousand outputs. And um, every transaction in the chain would have to use that circuit and then would become super inefficient. So um, what's Starkware is doing is um, they are allowing unbound computation by emulating a virtual machine on top of their proof system, like in their circuits. Like they they basically express a virtual machine in in these circuits, and these circuits are still bound. But on top of that, in that virtual machine, you can do unbound computation. So you can have transaction where you don't know in advance how many inputs it has and it works if it has two inputs it also works if it has a thousand inputs because you can just yeah extend the uh you can just iterate over them as you are used to from other programming languages you don't have to put everything into the circuit in, in, in advance um yeah this vm makes everything much easier for us in particular like proving the chain that's um the main reason why we are using cairo 
And uh, the prover that we are using, currently we are using um, the Sandstorm prover, which is um, the first fully open source stack prover. Um, usually these proof systems are built by companies and usually those companies, they have um, some kind of business model and usually keeping the prover closed source or like half closed source or somewhat closed source as part of their business model usually. And that was quite a pain for us because in the beginning there was not really a good uh, fully open source proof system. And then uh, Andrew Milson, he's um, a very, very talented um, programmer. Uh, and uh, he implemented um, this open source stack prover. And um, that changed the industry a lot because like he, he kind of showed that it's possible and uh, he showed that it's possible that a single guy can just build this prover and uh, he scared the other companies a bit and now they are more open of like um, open sourcing their stuff fully. Usually they all have everything like kind of open source, but then there's like that secret source, yeah, which yeah. is not open source. And then without that secret source, it's kind of like, nah, it doesn't yeah, really our, our SDKs are open source. You can look at those if you want. <laughs> yeah. And uh yeah, we thought like it would be, we don't want to lock the Bitcoin community into like the, the, the stack of some company. And uh, that's why we chose this open source prover. However, it's not so easy. Like um, he's quite talented and there are quite a lot of companies that want him to work for them. And uh, yeah, it's uh, not easy to, to keep him in like the Bitcoin world where, uh, the salaries are like 10 times smaller than uh, in, the, in the altcoin world, I would say. I think it's a, a reasonable way to wrap yeah. up. Yeah. We, we, we're just going to wrap this bad boy up. We're going to wrap it up. But we got some questions that we asked. They're trademarked. They're not, but they can be. I don't know. Hey. Uh, but I, I have just a real quick question. Uh, what was your shit coin of choice? I, I want to get back to that. It's important. My shit coin of choice. Uh, I built my own shit coin. Like in 2016. Uh, thought... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It. Like, uh, it turned out horrible. Like, uh, it turned out horrible. <laughs> Like it started all like innocently, like uh, I, I just implemented a blockchain for, for the sake of it for, because I wanted to learn like in 2016. I didn't know what an ICO was. I, I didn't really know about any altcoins or something like that. Uh, all I knew was that Bitcoin is super exciting and in general cryptocurrency is super exciting. So I, I started implementing my own coin just for, for the sake of it. Or like also lots of hubris was involved because I thought, oh yeah, Bitcoin. Uh, uh, I'm here to fix it. It's my first week, so it's finally here I am. And um, mm. yeah, I started building that and then uh, it got quite some traction because 2017 was crazy. Everybody suddenly was into crypto things. And uh, when people heard that I'm building a cryptocurrency, then uh, they immediately went crazy and were like, okay, yeah, we want to invest in it. Um, I guess like everybody who was building some kind of crypto thing in 2017 was in similar situations that like uh, people were just too too hyped. 
And uh, yeah, long story short, and uh, crush dreams. 2017, I think I learned ICOs, and then I thought, okay, yeah, let's let's do an ICO and take some of that dumb money and turn it into something good. And uh, yeah, I, I had quite a great team, with, like some PhD students, crypto cryptography PhD students from from our school here, and like. Uh, yeah, but that money made everyone very quickly very crazy. And my co-founders essentially said to me, hey, man, uh, these ICO investors are stupid. Let's just rip them off. Let's just like give them some nonsensical bullshit and keep them busy with like, yeah, some hot air. And uh, I didn't want to do that. So they kicked me out in the end. and. Uh, forced me to give up my keys and like uh, use the ICO money to like pay crazy lawyers to like. Dude, this is a fucking movie right here. That tracks. <laughs> yeah, I heard that's that like all the ICOs. <laughs> yeah. At the end, I gave up my keys and uh, I told them I'm going to do something beautiful without that scammy money. So yeah. now I built it here. Yeah, I'm very happy that I that I'm not in this scam shit anymore and like it was very painful back then because really like when I started it I, I did it like because of pure intentions I didn't do it because of making money or something actually it was the other way around I had like a great job offer from from Amazon and I rejected it to work on my shitcoin even though my shitcoin didn't make any money at all it just cost me money I, I was paying everything back then and uh, yeah, I put all my heart into it, and at the end, it turned out to be a scam, and uh, that was like very painful for me because I never wanted to to scam anyone. Uh, like I, I don't care about making money for the sake of making money. I care about making money to pay developers to build great things. I'm an engineer. I love engineering. I love building stuff, and it makes me happy to build stuff. And yeah, yay! Makes no sense to me to to scam people because the only reason why I need the money is to build cool things. So. I agree. In the first place. <laughs> I, uh, what was the name of that shit coin? I don't want to name it. I'm kidding. It I'm, joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, well, uh, that was a movie like story, man. I'm, that, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, man, to uh, out. To it. <laughs> Did you get your yacht party at least? No, nah, let's not ask those questions. You know, Giselle Benson, like the wife of Tom Brady? She lived next mm -hmm. door for some reason. She gave me my birthday cake because she liked the bad stuff that we were doing. Like, I'm a, she invited me <laughs> for my 30th birthday. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. So, cool. yeah, I story. some of these stories. Mm. Well, but I can um, it's worth nothing when there's like that shit going on. When the motivation behind it is garbage. That's. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, a, when the mean. motivation behind it is garbage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This yeah. Mm. Well, um, I guess we'll ask some uh, two more questions and then we'll wrap it up real this time. Uh Jesse, you want to go first? Sure. Um is what you do actually difficult? And you can interpret that however you want. You mean I program probably easier to make stuff with a lot of money than it is without a lot of money. Maybe. I don't know. Like, I mean, programming that stuff is not that difficult. Like, it's it's just like programming in other languages. Programming in Cairo, okay, yeah, it's a bit cumbersome, and like, it's there are languages that are easier, but it's not like crazy. Like, 
coming up, with these pro coming up with these proof systems and improving them and writing papers about them and like doing all the hardcore math that is much much harder than what i'm doing and uh, yeah i'm not doing the research this i'm just applying the stuff that smarter people do d in 10 what? words or less can you describe bitcoin Yeah, I can hear yeah. um, a math-based money anchored into physics. Six words. Yeah. Okay. Seems like a lofty description. Yeah. Oh, it seems it's a little good. lofty. We'll take it. As a physicist, I can agree. <laughs> we'll take it. Well, <clears throat> Robin, thank you for stopping by. Thanks for do having me. Do you want to tell anybody like, hey, this is how you help zerosync.org? Go to yeah, zerosync.org. If you want to um, help us fund the development of ZeroSync and BitVM, in the BitVM white paper, there's a Bitcoin address at the bottom. Um, yeah, you can um, sponsor some Bitcoin development, uh, yeah, BitVM development in particular. And um, yeah, join our Telegram or like our Twitter, whatever. <laughs> you know what to do. You you know how the internet works. Look at things. Stuff down there. You you know what to do. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Yeah. And we're back. Uh, we hope you enjoy that interview with Bobin Lindu. Uh, I think I got that right. Jesus Christ! Hopefully I did. What? It's so it's bad. So bad about Just how why I, Robin Lenu. That's not French. That sounds French. Yeah. Robin Lenu. Anyways, sorry, sir. Excellent name. I keep getting it wrong. It was an excellent interview. I can't help. I think I'm, uh, for me, guys, it's starting to get, I have to resist my been listening to everything for 10 years, heard that before. Like, this is the things that I no, hear. This is new. Like, well, I know no. this is new. I'm talking about this like is new, new. Okay. Let I know. I know that it's new. What I'm talking about is, oh, here's something new, and it's going to be great. And then when it starts to, um, really get out there in crypto Twitter and Bitcoin crypto Twitter, whatever, it just immediately gets rejected. Like it, it's like even if the the good ideas. And it's not rejected from like a constructive, like a scientist would re reject a hypothesis and then go do more work. It's like rejected from a bad place of like, oh, this guy's stupid. This is a scam. The scam, 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 stupid, dumb, dumb, stupid, dumb shit coin guy. And it's like, I hope that he's like going to strike a magic timing where he can get these new fresh ideas into that community, the Bitcoin community specifically. And they'll be accepted uh, constructively. So right? that's what I would argue that this has potential to not do that. Um, looking at the, the tweet that he has pinned on his Twitter, I'm not calling it X. Um, yeah, posted on October 9th, the paper got over 5,000 likes, a lot of retweets, a, lot, a significant amount of engagement. Uh, I think because positive engagement here because this is one of the first times that the 
Bitcoin ecosystem has seen a solution for expanding the functionality of Bitcoin without making compromising trust assumptions that most other solutions have had or uh, reasonably large changes to the underlying Bitcoin core protocol because zero-knowledge technology allows for it, right? So like even just the initial first step is useful and optional. And that's basically, like, I don't want to get into it too much because you talk about it on the show, but like allowing you to sync a Bitcoin full node basically instantaneously. So I want to start a new node. How do I get the state? And I, how do I get a verifiable state so that I can start verifying transactions that are happening right now and updating? Uh, you do that with zero knowledge technology through verifiable proofs. And then once you have that, you can then go backfill and download the rest of the chain and then even execute from Genesis if you want to, right? But like I can get up and running quickly. I can do that in my browser. In fact, you can do it on the website browser. That's just like step one of things you can do with zero knowledge technology on top of web, web uh, blockchain systems. I think it's interesting that it took this long for the community to realize that the research coming out of the Ethereum ecosystem, Zcash, the other projects is useful Mina. in this way. Mina, like the validity proofs in general is a, is a thing that came out of uh, what the Bitcoin ecosystem calls shitcoins. Stark-based recursion. And now we're going to see it applied to Bitcoin. And I'm very curious to see about, like one, its uptake. And if two, in the event that it does have a strong uptake, do they just replay the experiences we've gone through and they don't learn about them because they refuse to participate in the, sh the ridiculousness that's been Ethereum development so far? I think they're kind of doing things out of order because they had NFTs without L2s. No ordinals. That's what I mean. Like they're yeah. trying to find ways of doing things with the Bitcoin blockchain without expanding the functionality of the of, of the script language or like the size of blocks or things like these structures, all these types of things. So they want to keep the base layers as possible, which has always been kind of the case. We've been harking back to the big block versus small block debate. I think something that Linus brought up is he's really realistic about the of the fact that if you want a lot of transactions really fast, you do have to scale the base layer layer beyond what Bitcoin is capable of anyway, even with you know zero sync on top. So I mean he's realistic about that. Um, I think he just I think he would be happier if he was just building on Ethereum, but like have the belief of like Bitcoin is sound money, but like it's fun to build. I don't know. In a, I don't know. I don't know. I I I need to dig more into the this situation and what it's possible. Like basically the trade offs that are associated with this this world being possible, and how that differentiates from Ethereum's roadmap. Because I think they're different, especially when you look at the underlying scripting system. The EVM is a very large generic programming language at the base layer, which which automatically just that alone, when compared to script forces you to have a drastically larger state and history of state because these transitions are stateful they have and bitcoin is very much against that so like they're building that genericism the ability to build what we call smart contracts or like generic smart contracts further up so that you have the base layer more clean 
Ethereum's kind of now moving to that as they make the base chain more focused on data availability and sharding and then allowing the layer twos to work on execution. So it's, we're all kind of going in the same direction. We just did it in different ways. It's interesting that I, I, I never knew the numbers, um, but I guess uh, Bitcoin script uh, P2PKH is four opcodes and a public key hash. And then the EVM is 140, over 140 opcodes. Mm. So, I mean, it's a huge difference in terms of like what you can build in both VMs natively versus and in, 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 like what he's trying to do by building this you know custom bit VM to process essentially what is going to be like a roll up. So, yeah. Mm. So I, I wish think, him the best of luck uh, with adoption. Yeah. I just wish him the best of luck with adoption and people being open-minded in the Bitcoin community. That's um, what I'm looking forward to. Like, I want to collaborate with people like this because I'm very interested in the proliferation of the technology for the mm -hmm. purposes of what we've set out to do in the first place. We've been around since early Bitcoin. Uh, and it's clear zero-knowledge stuff and applied cryptography is the way forward and how it gets applied is interesting. Mm -hmm. I think we should probably do, think do the interview soon because I want to talk about the content of the interview after the interview. <laughs> Here it is. What I just said? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I agree with your sentiment, which is that it's always good to find... Um, similar like-minded people who care about the technology and want to extend uh, protocols beyond what they were meant to do. I think that, yeah, that matters. Yeah, I definitely like, it feels more like the, like you're maybe at some point we have a good understanding of, uh, I don't want to say the right type of people, but like the uncompromisable people that really care about building systems that help others across the entire ecosystem because there's a bunch of different ways to do that depending on what you're doing and who you're serving but like the people who are doing it like you just said like i need money to build cool technology i'm not building cool technology to make money um and he's passionate about doing it in a way that's you know zero trust you don't have to trust individuals to uh perform power moves to extract value from others when they don't know it and i think that i i think that Every main project has a core core set of people like that, and I'm interested in a future where like they get along and work together. Whereas right now, Bitcoin and Ethereum people don't work together, don't get along, and the proliferation of zero knowledge technology is kind of making a bridge in between the two because it's applicable to both systems. If that becomes something that is useful and it has a marketplace of ideas and associated businesses that try and do stuff on top of Bitcoin, then you're going to see a, a stronger bridge there because we're working on, on the same thing. It's just a different underlying, like underlying fabric that does consensus. And I had this weird, I had this weird uh, comparison in my head where if you, if you think about like Bitcoin um, and everything that kind of spawned from it, you know, Ethereum, I'm kind of thinking of like religion and like Judaism and Christianity yeah, and how there's so many different sects, pretty cult people that believe in the same thing. But like at the end of the day, it's they create different kind of rules around 
something that is pretty something much shared mundane <laughs> like some yeah. some minor detail like no jesus held thing. things in his right hand and we are now a different community because of it and that's what hard forking was about right like the bitcoin yeah. cash community versus the bitcoin community is all basically started from the idea that like no the base layer blockchain size should scale versus no the size of it should remain small such that you can build things on top of it and you're not um introducing security games with the distribution of the underlying data in between block times and then yeah you have two giant two giant different communities I don't know how reasonably how comparatively big they are, but like reasonably large different communities based on basically the exact same ideals. And then we're just like religious historians kind of tracking along. Yeah, yeah we, we have been. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we're the historians that just kind of, you know, we should probably put some of these episodes on a blockchain somewhere so we can have some history, you know. Put them in S3. Fine. On a chain. Who's going to pay yeah. for that? It's uh, easy to do. Hey, we've started a new thing. We need money to put. Uh, <laughs> We're going to raise the tokens. I I did enjoy um, speaking with him because I, I, I knew like is he, I could tell he has a lot of experience in building. Right. Like he, it was, I know for you that listen for you uh, from, from Boston now. Yeah. I know for youngs out there that are listening. No, um, <clears throat> it wasn't very good when he was kind of explaining some things, but he was using a lot of hand visuals with like how when he was talking about how he builds the circuits and how to query effectively and all these. I mean, it just, I just felt like he, he is a real builder. Like, uh, it was like he doesn't care about any of that. It's a tech nerd, um, like like a lot of us. Yeah, yeah. So I enjoy the interview. Dream it. Um, yeah. What were you about to if say? You can, were you do it? Say it. Hmm, I was just gonna say, like, like tech nerds yeah. is like if you can dream it, you build it, and it's because it's interesting to you, and you think you're pushing something that matters to you. Yeah, awesome. audience, don't awesome. your dreams be dreams? Oh God! All right, What's you can think name? it. You can achieve it. I got this. Shia LaBeouf. There he goes. Do it. Yeah. You know, Andrew, he, like, you know, there are levels to this thing. Like, like I was, you know, telling you the Andrew Milson, that guy was like, that guy's good. That he, one man prover, like that's mm. pretty crazy. Is, is it kind of crazy to think that like we, if this were like sports, we talked to like the first round draft picks of like technology software development like yes like it's the exact same except yeah. there's no cap Wilson. well your cap is how much money Wait you, a minute. Have. you mean no cap like salary cap or no cap like you yeah no salary you. cap no oh, salary cap bust. and it's just whatever you can afford no salary cap busting yeah yeah you made mini stark which is uh allows you to prove the integrity of arbitrary computations to anyone using the power of starks libraries yep. written in rust but metal and? is used to accelerate some polynomial arithmetic on the GPU. It's completely open source um, Stark Prover, which, as he was mentioning in the, in the, in the interview, is uh, the only one because most companies who are building these things have some special sauce that's closed. And Jesse, listen to this. 
Uh, he's also working on Sats for Files, decentralized file hosting based on Lightning. He's this guy's putting in work. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I would like to understand. You just the... wait a second. Corey just Marge groaned into the microphone. I, I, I don't care until I see it working. Like I, I like the ideas. I like the research. I like people trying things until it makes a difference and people are using it. It's like I, it's it's like you said, par for the course. We've heard people trying to do cool things for a decade now. Yeah. Um. I love cool hearing things. it. I want to see it. Yeah. It's like Dave Chappelle and like, like I said, like for what we talked about, there are demos. Those exist. He's taken stuff that we've been doing in the Ethereum community. Like even, even Logos has done these things. Nimbus has this type of verification. Like, What is it called? I, uh, fluffy? 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 Like fluffy. a cloud? Well, no, there's a few things. There's a couple of different ways of doing the light client verification. And depending on how you're doing it, I think there's different names for it, but I'll let Nimbus take care of that. I uh, wish Eden would come on and talk about it, but he won't. We'll get him. We'll get him some. We'll get him one day. We're coming after you, Eden. Well, still feels like a good time to wrap things, wrap things up. So we're going to do that now. We're going to do the things that we have to do because we have to do them. Uh, like and subscribe. Boy's not paying attention. Like and subscribe. Hit the buttons. Do the things. Get us in your applications. All right. Um, we do this, you know, for you guys. So if you want to know when our stuff drops, like off the bat, you do this recently talking to yourself. Yeah. I mean, I do this because, yeah, for me as well, because you guys are fun to be around. Oh, guys, so wholesome today. I just feel the one feels greedy. Definitely greedy. Feels like subscribe, guys. Uh, That was an episode. Hashing it out. We're done. We're wrapping. Subscribe to my greed. Yeah, subscribe to us. Yeah. Give us a head nod if we're done. Did I? We're done.